The Leaderpreneur Show, Episode 6, Our Personal Failures. Let's go. Welcome back, my friends, to The Leaderpreneur Show, the podcast for leaders to deepen their knowledge while exploring an entrepreneurial journey to start a thriving online business of their own. My name is Stephen Faust, and I'm here with my great and good friend, Michael Tanner. Hi, Michael. How's it going today? Hey, Stephen. Back again, man. It's good to be with you and sharing more leadership content with our audience. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. What's on the agenda this week, my friend? Hey, man, I thought this week we would kind of combine our leadership content with some of the behind the scenes. Uh, and That's a great idea. One, yeah, and one effort here, we'll talk about some of our, yours and mine, leadership failures and what we learned from those. So we're going to give our audience, a, if you will, a peek behind the scenes of our leadership. And you and I have talked a couple of times on this podcast about, you know, hey, we make mistakes too. We're leaders, but we make mistakes and so forth. But we haven't gotten specific. We haven't given any examples or stories for our listeners. So I thought, well, the, the most difficult part for me was to narrow it down. Uh, but I've got a couple of mistakes that I've made over the years that I know I can share, and I think you probably do as well. Uh, but we can share with our, our listeners the leadership tips uh, that we you know, discovered as a part of that failure but it'll give the, the listener a view behind the scenes in our leadership as well. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds great. And we're going to kind of go uh, a two for one behind the scenes and a leadership topic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's so again, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go, I'm going to take you back all the way to 1993, way back 26 years ago or so now. Uh, my very first leadership role when I was in the United States Marine Corps, uh, we were just coming off of deployment. Uh, we'd been in the Mediterranean Ocean for six months on an aircraft carrier, and I had gotten promoted in the middle of that deployment. Now, when I got back, when we got back from deployment, uh, you know, the 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 battalion, if you will, it kind of splits up. People go in their different directions. Some people their enlistment's over, so they get out and so forth. And so, leadership within the organization of you know the battalion, the companies, and the platoons gets shaken up a little bit. And I found myself a squad leader for the very first time. Now, we had been back from deployment for just a couple of months, and the battalion commander was coming through for the purpose of a battalion inspection. And so he was going to come through our barracks rooms. He was going to inspect, inspect our barracks rooms. He was going to inspect our uniforms and, and so forth. Well, in my squad, uh, we had 60 Marines in my squad, and I had this one uh, particular Lance Corporal, I'm going to call him Lance Corporal Pyle. If you remember the movie, um, uh, Full Metal Jacket, Private Pyle. Oh, yeah. He was the guy that always messed up. You bet. Well, in my squad, I had a Lance Corporal Pyle. Right? He always was messing something up. Well, just before the battalion commander is coming through to do the inspection, uh, I'm checking out Lance Corporal Pyle to make sure everything is squared away with his room, with his uniform, and so forth. And in the dress alpha uniform for the Marine Corps, if you're properly in your uniform, then you have your your military ID card in your left breast pocket of your shirt. That's where it belongs. So I'm inspecting Lance Corporal Pyle to make sure that he's all squared away. And I discover 
that he does not have his ID card in his in his left breast pocket. Oh, so of course I. Yeah, so of course I ask him, you know, where is your ID card? And so he tells me he doesn't have one. He lost it long oh. ago, and he, and so forth. And I just I flew off the handle. I erupted on. I mean, the tank commanders, you know, two or three, you know, um, uh, two or three barracks rooms away. He's going to be here any minute. So I make Lance Corporal Pilot. So this is what I did. I'm so embarrassed by this. The day, 26 years later, this leadership decision still haunts me today. But I sent Lance Corporal Pyle out of his barracks room, out into the, to the parade deck that's out there, um, a grassy area. And I told him to find the largest rock that he could find and told him to bring that back. So he scurries out and he finds the rock and he comes back. He stands in front of me and I take this rock and I put it in the left breast pocket of his shirt. And I told him, I said, let's pile. When the battalion commander comes along, he wants to know what is in your breast pocket. You tell him that it's your ID card because you are a rock. Right? <laughs> I mean, I just erupted on this guy. I was so it was so bad. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously the battalion commander comes around, he's inspecting the room and so forth. And I mean, when you walked into his barracks room, so much, you know, his desk, his bunk, everything. But the most obvious thing in that room was his left breast pocket with that huge rock. In it. Oh, boy. And you know, the battalion commander is going to ask him, hey, what is in your pocket? What is in your pocket? It's my ID card. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and so he explained to the battalion commander, I lost my ID card. Corporal Tanner here made me put a rock in for my ID card, you know, and, and uh, battalion commander made some comment to me like, man, you're, you're a really hard ass or something like that. <laughs> um, and, you know, he went on about his business. Uh, but I realized, man, what a jerk I was. What a jerk I was to do that to Lance Corporal Powell. Uh, here I am in a, in a, one of my earliest first real leadership positions and I do something stupid like that Lance Corporal I never had his respect ever after that so what it, you know in hindsight yeah. what were what were you attempting to demonstrate there as a leader I mean were you were you attempting to embarrass him at the time were you attempting to um you know, have the battalion commander call him out, obviously, because he has a big lump in his left breast pocket. Right. Uh, I mean, what was your intent as you look back on that at 26 years later? Unfortunately, all the above, right? Yes, I wanted to embarrass him, right? Now, I thought I was embarrassing him for the purpose of improving his performance, right? I thought, okay. Teaching well, him a lesson, right? Him, yeah, I'm going to teach him a lesson. It, it, you know, if I embarrass him in front of the battalion commander, uh, you know, he's going to know better next time. He'll never lose that ID card again, or he'll never, it, you know, and the reality is too, in a lot of ways, I was following the bad leadership of others that I'd seen deal with Lance Corporal right? Uh, before, before me being his squad leader, I watched other squad leaders struggle with him as well. Now, now granted, his performance on his, on it, on its own was, was bad, right? But, the leadership that he received never made it better. And the leadership that I gave him that day never didn't make it better either. Again, I didn't 
gain any type of influence over Lance Corporal Powell at all, right? Um, I didn't gain any kind of respect. I didn't demonstrate to him that I cared for his success. All I, all I presented to him was, I'm going to embarrass you, and you better not ever do this again. Yeah. Right? And, and So it's almost like you were bringing attention to yourself as opposed yeah. to, you know, really solving his problems, right? You were saying, you know, uh, look at me, look at the type of leader I am. I'm, I'm going to dry, I'm going to force change. I'm going to make this guy better come hell or high water. And, and, um, it, it's, it's funny how when we're early on in leadership, how we have these situations that come up and, and we deal with them. And then we reflect back years later and think about you know, what could have been. So Lance Corporal oh, Pyle, yeah is I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, and I don't know this, we have not talked about this story before. So, uh, you know, I can speculate and Lance Corporal Pyle probably never amounted to much uh, in your eyes uh, from a, did he ever become a, a, a performer of consequence for you? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think he ended his enlistment probably after four years and he probably got out of Lance Corporal. I mean, I got out before he did. Yeah. Uh, and so my guess is he, left the Marine Corps at pretty much the same level that he, he was when, you know, when I had the, the rock episode. So it just kind of got passed along from leader to leader. Um, and no one yeah. really maybe took the time to spend with him to, instead of standing across from him to sit across from him saying, you, you know, you're a screw up and here are the reasons why. And just in case you didn't know, I'm going to remind you of it. Uh, versus yeah. standing next to him, putting the proverbial arm around him saying, Hey man, uh, you know, there's some challenges. Here's what's been going on. Here's how we can make it better. I need you to, to belly up to the bar 50% of this. I'll put 50% of this and we'll, we'll come up with the right way forward. Now, would it have happened? Who knows, but it, would it have had a better chance of happening had that approach been taken versus the one that you took at the time? So just, you know, putting all that together, it's, um, uh, it's interesting how we learn and grow from those experiences in our leadership. Yeah, and and you know what's what hurts me so badly again. Twenty six year later, years later, I'm still I still remember vividly yeah. this case. Um, one, uh, you know, as I said, I didn't earn any kind of respect or influence for Lance Corporal Pyle at all. I was after that incident, I was unable to lead him effectively. Um, but secondly, I wasn't actually following any of the leadership teachings the Marine Corps gave us. I was simply following the example of other leaders of Lance Corporal Pyle that I had witnessed, that I had watched. But it, it's probably, it's a misconception I'm, I know of many out there about leadership within the military. Leadership in the military is not at all what I demonstrated that day. Leadership in the military is all about relationship. It's all about serving and sacrificing for others. It's team over self. It's, it's all of those things. But it is not at all about just being a jerk to your people and they mess up. Right. Uh, and, and that's what I was being, you know, and, and it's funny because um, what I was looking to do, embarrass him, and, you know, and bring about some kind of condemnation on him so that he would change his behavior. The battalion commander didn't say anything to him afterwards. He just looked at me and said, man, you're a real hard ass, aren't you? <laughs> and he said it very sarcastically like, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're being a real jerk here. I mean, he would have used more colorful language than that. Yeah. Course. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he was looking at me saying, you're the one here that just screwed up. Not this guy. It's got a rock in his pocket. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just really interesting. Um, uh, it just makes me think of so many occasions in my life uh, and leadership as well. But have you ever, have you ever thought about, and this is something that I think about too, is I, I look back at both the good and the bad in my leadership and, you know, folks that I've, that have had an influence on me and folks that uh, maybe I have uh, had a negative influence on. Have you ever thought about, uh, you know, finding him and reaching out to him either through LinkedIn or Facebook and going, Hey, you probably don't remember me, but 26 years ago, this situation happened. And let me just tell you what I've learned. I've thought a lot about that. And I just want to let you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Have you ever thought about uh, kind of circling back with, uh, with um, Mr. Pyle there? Well, I have. And, and in fact, uh, I haven't done it recently. It's been a number of years, yeah. uh, probably three or four years ago, I guess now at least, um, that I did find him on Facebook. Uh, oh, that's cool. You know, I was I was pretty new to Facebook at the time too, I think. But I tried to find him and uh, was unable to. I think I remember where he was from. And, and of course, his name is not Pyle. But, right. Uh, I, I knew his name and so forth. But uh, uh, I, so far, I've been unable to find him. Yeah, it's interesting. And and, and I'll just say for folks listening that it, it's, we all make mistakes. And right. if we could, right. if hindsight were 2020, I tell you, we'd, we'd all have perfect vision. And, and just to look back on things that, that, you know, Michael's done and I've done and you may have done out there. And it's never too late to, you, know, you can't change what was done. But there are opportunities in life where you could go back and close out a conversation, bring closure to something. Now, whether they recognize or even remember 26 years later, you know, you can't worry about that. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to bring closure for the reasons that you feel, but it's something I wouldn't discount or say you could never do because it's, it's, it's interesting that, that, you know, the one out of 10 times that you can actually find somebody and do that, it's, it's quite powerful and could be meaningful. Totally agree. And, and I would bet, you know, that, for the most part, he may not even remember that case. You know, I'm I guessing remember he remembers case. you made him put a rock in his pocket. I'm guessing. <laughs> well, he, he had a lot, right? He had a lot on his plate of, uh, you know, examples uh, very similar to that. As I said, you know, he didn't have the best of leadership before. Me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is I didn't improve the leadership that he had either. Yeah, and we and we and we are, we have uh, folks that we lead in life and, and business that, that have been frankly just passed off and cast off you know, right. from leader to leader and lead to leader. And in most situations, or at least many leaders either didn't have the ability, the capability, the desire, the willingness, the want to, whatever you want to call it, to spend the energy and effort to, to uh, improve or help a person get beyond what's been maybe their Achilles heel. So never, yeah. never think about someone is, is, um, irreparable, right? You know, it may, totally it, it may end up that you have to move a different direction. It may end up that they don't have the skill set, but, but don't have it be because you too became what all of the others before were, which is just passing the buck onto the next person. Don't be the leader that passes the buck is, is something I think about there. Yeah. You know, totally agree. And, and over the 26 years of leadership, I've, I've, Developed this philosophy uh, around poor performance, and and I've I've adopted this this philosophy, and it's helped me tremendously in leadership. and And it basically goes something like this: I'm not willing to fire or lay off someone for poor performance. I'm only willing to fire or lay them off if they're not coachable. Right. So 
that philosophy, what it does is it forces me to put in the work to try to coach them, to try to improve their performance. I'm not just entirely putting performance on them. I'm going to mentor, coach, lead, do whatever I can to improve their performance. Now, if they prove to be uncoachable, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to do the things I ask them to do or whatever. Well, now they're uncoachable. Now they deserve it. They've got to go, right? Uh, they're hurting the team in some way or whatever. But I'm going to take ownership of, of I need to lead this person, right? I need to influence this person. I need to train this person, teach this person, mentor this person, whatever it, it might be. Uh, and only if they become uncoachable do they need to leave the team. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a unique distinction there that uh, a lot of folks just don't have. They give up on people right. too soon. And yeah, agree. Totally agree. if we held out and there's wanted... Great... Go ahead, okay. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say there's a great book on this topic called Extreme Ownership. It's written by Jocko Willink. Uh, and it, it's basically the concept of, especially if you're the leader, and someone in your team or your team as a whole is struggling, you've got to take extreme ownership of that. And you've got to then lead that team or that individual to success, right? As opposed to what we we're just talking about, just give up on them and, you know, and suggest that performance is solely on them. And if they can't perform, then they're out, right? No, we've got to take extreme ownership of our leadership here and lead those individuals through that. Yeah. And if you want to be a leader of, of consequence and a leader of significance, you uh, oftentimes have to solve problems and, and lead people that others have just frankly not tried or just given up on. So be different, be a different leader, be yeah. someone who, who salvages relationships, not gives up on them. And um, that's, a, that's a, a pretty cool distinction of what uh, differentiates you know, well-intentioned, well, you know, good, strong, well-intended leaders versus those who go through the motions. Yep. I oh, think, listen, Stephen, I've aired some of my dirty laundry. Uh, what, what you got for us? Oh man, I think, I think I can beat that one as far as a failure is concerned. Uh, but that was a no, pretty good one. The, 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 the pile, uh, uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, uh, Lance Corporal Pyle and his rock, I don't know how somebody loses an ID card for a while and makes it around in the military and not have to show an ID card for anything. Don't know how that happens. That is true. I mean, I, you have to use that thing all the time. I don't know how he survived. That's right. But, you know, it's, it's funny. So we have a, a parallel background in some ways. I was in the Army from uh, 85 to 98 on active duty. Um, I was a warrant officer kind of the last uh, five or six years. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of the 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 young uh leader in the military just all, always doing well always uh kind of at, at the top of my game I, I just really prided myself on being a really highly effective leader who got a lot of good results and developed people and then i got out of the military so in 98 got out of the military went to work for a, a, a technology company an it company in florida and um i was my first job there after being a $9 an hour temp employee entering sales orders in the system, which uh, talk about kind of a, uh, a reset of expectations. Uh, that was a, that was an interesting time, but my first, you know, full-time job as a, as a um, government bid manager that managed a, a state and local federal, uh, what I, what we called a bid desk that would get all of these, these uh, technology, IT, hardware uh, 
quotes and things we'd have to quote and produce proposals and all this stuff. So I had about a team of 12. So I'm 33 years old, fresh out of the military as a warrant officer. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, the cat's meow, you know, this is what I'm thinking in my own mind. And, um, you know, I've had, had a successful military career and I'm pretty regimented. I'm pretty organized. I'm pretty anal. I'm pretty, uh, you know, demanding. And, you know, I set things up on this team of here's what we're going to do. We have eight hours in a day. We're going to set up hour one. We're going to do these five things. We're going to drive results this way. We're going to make 12 and a half phone calls an hour. We're going to, you know, here's your, your 10 points of light that you're going to do. And, and, um, now I have, I'm 33 years old, mind you. And I have 12 folks that range in age from, you know, say 30 to say 60 and Mm -hmm. generationally just different than me. And for me, you know, I I don't, whatever, here's what we got to do guys. Boom, boom, boom. You know, I'm doing everything except, uh, doing physical, you know, PT with these guys doing pushups. Right. So, these people are looking at me like I have three eyes and you know, I don't care. I've got three eyes, two eyes. Here's what we're doing guys. I wasn't mean about it. I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, just out there hurting feelings and, and doing that. But I was pretty, pretty demanding from an expectation. And when you didn't do it, right. I'd call you in and go, here's what you did. You made 12 and three quarter phone calls and you missed it by one. And, and you know, they started going to HR on me. And, right. um, I forgot they weren't in the army. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, how could you not love this type of leadership in my mind? Right. right. To me, right. I was doing no wrong. And they, a couple of them went to HR on, uh, and, and started to complain about this guy is running this, like it's some sort of militant, you know, camp and right. HR called me and I just remember it so vividly. This was in, this was in 1990. When was it? 1999, I think, or something like that. And um, <laughs> they sat me down and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, man, they're probably going to tell me what a great job I'm doing. And uh, <laughs> they told me to knock it off. They said, you're, you're too militant. You need to knock it off. You need, you know, you can't be like that. Right. And I'm, and I'm thinking, right. what are you talking about? So they began to unpack for me some of the challenges and, and complaints and, and it really, force it it was a real ego hit to me because i thought i yeah. was you know driving results and and you know get, getting results the right way and to me they're like you can't you can't lead like this in an organization and expect that um you're going right. to have folks that are going to buy in and and believe in what you're doing and and yeah. i just re- i just remember you know going home that weekend and looking in the mirror and you know first of all, thinking everybody else is wrong. It's not me. Mm-hmm. Then kind of just reflecting and just coming to this, this place in my mind that says, you know, I've got to change. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be successful. And over a period of, let's say a few weeks or a month, I made this real determined decision to change, to still yeah. be accountable to the outcome and the results, but really put my, you know, like I had said previously to, to stand next to somebody and say, how can I help? How can I you know, help you achieve success? How can we be a part of a team versus you're going to do, you're going to do this because I said, do it versus 
here's what we're going to do. Here are the reasons, here are the benefits, and here's how we can all win together. And I'm not suggesting this happened overnight, but it was a process that occurred over, yeah. you know, w- over weeks and months that I, that was a turning point in my leadership. I was effective in the military leading one way, a uh, different, different crowd, different expectation was not fully transferable to uh, outside of the military and let's say a corporate environment. But I learned, I learned lessons the hard way and recognized that no one was going to follow me to the bathroom, much less to any (laughs) other place if I didn't change me. And so as opposed to expecting everybody else to change, I had to first change me. And just, I realized that, um, that being a leader in a corporate environment, that, that you don't have role power per se, like you do in the military, like rank and, and the things that people had zero choice, but to, to listen to you, to right, right. Um, get people to want to listen to you and want to be part of a winning solution. So over a period of weeks and months, you know, I transformed and it's been the biggest thing in leadership that's happened to me. That's caused me to self-reflect and, and really yeah. value people so much differently and recognize that the a power of a team that's bought into what you're doing and why you're doing it uh, is, is just so transformational and it's, it's created the leader that I've become today. And it's something that I had to learn the hard, hard way. And um, uh, it, it's, it's something I reflect on a lot. And, and you mentioned with uh, um, yeah. Mr. Pyle there, something you 26 years later think about. I think about this a lot as well and how it's, it's created who I've become today and, and who I strive to be even right. more of tomorrow. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting because there's a number of different types of leadership out there, right? And one of them is what's called transactional leadership. And in the military, transactional leadership is oftentimes needed, right? Do this and do it this way. Go now. Right. Um, and, you know, you brought that into the corporate world and you were being a transactional leader. And even in the corporate world, the organizational card and things like that, you can actually get things done in a transactional way like that. But you might not have known it at the time. You, I know you recognize it now. You might have got some success there. You, you would have gotten some results from some of your team members, but it would have been a very short-lived success. Right. Right. You would have had people that uh, left your team or, or got disgruntled or something like that and performance would have, would, have, uh, would have tanked or something like that. It would have been a very short-lived success if you maintained being a transactional leader. Now, sometimes transactional leadership is necessary, but you clearly moved more towards a relational, uh, you know, coach, servant leader type leadership, and you saw a much longer-term success, I'm sure, from doing that. Yeah, that, that's true. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of the measure of, uh, you're right, you can get success. So you can treat people like a battery and consume the energy yes. that that's they have to give yeah. you, right? And then when yeah. you consume all of that energy, you can cast them aside, right? Now, did the battery power up what you needed? Yes. Is, you know, the battery's not rechargeable. And the measure of a leader in my mind is, are these people, uh, you move on to another role, are they going to follow you and go be with you in your new role? Or are they going to say, good riddance to this guy, right? Right. So yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's really about um, uh, people wanting to follow 
you as a leader versus having to follow you as a leader. You can get results both ways, but one has a shelf life and one is a, is one that lives on in perpetuity because you are the right type of person and leader who cares and is, is deeply committed to serving them as they are to serving you. So that that's the difference totally in my mind. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Hey, I mean, we're, we're pushing 30 minutes already in the podcast, yeah. but I thought I'd share even a more recent um, failure of my leadership. You know, here we are, we're talking 20, 30 years ago. And some of the audience may say, well, look, you guys are veteran leaders now. Surely you don't make mistakes. No, that's not true. Uh, I still make mistakes today. The important thing is learn from those mistakes, right? So let me tell you a quick story. Uh, uh, the team that I'm leading right now, I, uh, I, I've been in this position for seven years now. Uh, so this particular mistake was uh, about three or four years ago. I think it was probably four years ago, actually now. Um, and it was at a, um, it was at a Thanksgiving gathering. So every, uh, every year, the team that I lead, we have kind of this potluck lunch that, you know, everybody brings a bunch of stuff and we gather it and uh, we eat lunch together and things like that. And, and they always will look at me, Hey, can you say a few words to kind of open us up, say thanks to the team. And, and then, Tell everybody, you know, the logistics of how we're going to eat and all that and, and just dismiss everybody to eat. Well, I took the opportunity to address something in that Thanksgiving talk, that, that few minutes that I had to address the entire team. And it was just silly of me to try to address this, one, in a Thanksgiving setting, but two, to try to address the period. Here's the thing. Uh, when I arrived at this team, they very much had a culture uh, where they referred to each other as family, right? The engineering team is a family. And not that that didn't sit well with me. It just, it didn't quite register with me. Um, you know, I consider myself a family guy, right? I've got a, a wife of 25 years. I've got three teenage uh, children and that's my family, right? Everything else was in work for me was in the context of a team. So right. I've got a team at work. I've got a family at home, right? And I thought I was going to take this opportunity at Thanksgiving with the few minutes that I had to address the entire group. And I was going to correct this language between family and team. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to tell, you know, at this time, probably 130 people. I'm going to tell 130 people Again, this is the Thanksgiving talk. I'm supposed to tell everybody, thank you so much for all the hard work and all the success we've had. But instead, I chose to say, you're wrong about family. Yeah, you've been here for some of you 15, 20, 30 years. And I've only been here a couple of years. But, uh, you know, I wasn't saying it this way, obviously. But I was basically saying, you're wrong about family. We're really a team, right? I've got family at home that I feel differently about than I do you. And, oh, it was just, it was a disaster, right? That one that I took that time at Thanksgiving to try to tell them we're not a family, we're a team. But then two, that I felt strongly enough about the words family and team that I wanted to change their culture. Mm. And that was the dumbest thing I could have done was try to change their culture. If they want to be called a family, they should be called a family, right? Uh, and I'm okay with that now. Uh, you know, one of the things that turned me around, my favorite sport is basketball. And uh, college basketball is, you know, the month of March is my favorite month of the year because of the big NCAA tournament 
you know, ending the season of college basketball. If you'll go back and look at last year's images on Google or something from the tournament last year, almost every single team in that tournament has shooter shirts, warm-up shirts. And do you know what's written across? My guess is family, man, right? Family. Family. Oh, boy. Those basketball teams see themselves as family. So, you know what I had to do? I had to go back to that entire team, that entire group. And I had to, you know, I had to basically say, look, I'm sorry. I got all twisted up on semantics, the words family and team and all that. And ultimately, I was trying to change to some degree the culture around here. And even worse, I took a Thanksgiving speech to share that with you. You know, and, and I, again, I, I just essentially apologized. And then I, I shared up some, some images of those basketball players with the word family across their jersey. And, and I told the entire team at that point, I said, look, you're a family. And I'm okay with that. And I hope you'll let me be a part of this family. Uh, I learned my lesson in that communication at Thanksgiving and, you know, just trying to change the culture to something that uh, didn't need to be changed, right? Um, Because I was all hung up on the word family. How silly is that that I would get hung up on a word and try to change the culture of a team that size? Yeah, whereas whereas a group of people at work that refer to themselves as a family, we should embrace that, right? We That should be... totally. My gosh. So you're saying, hey, we're not a family. We're a team. Enjoy your turkey, by the way. Right. Uh, (laughs) But you know what? It takes such a, it takes so much of a bigger leader to go back and and make a correction on it though. So I I would say to folks out there that if you do something like that, and I know, I know you well enough to know that you didn't do it with a mean intention, right? You were. No, not at all. But it, it, it is received the way it's received and to, to be a strong enough leader to go back and, and bring attention to the correction from your perspective to say, you know what, we are a family and, you know, basketball, March madness, you know, look at these shirts and we're as big of a family as they are. And, uh, you know, I apologize for that. I don't know a lot of, I don't know many leaders who would have the guts to go in and, and apologize. But I know folks listening to us would because they, they're listening to us because they want to be better leaders. And yeah, you know, absolutely. In no way was that easy, right? That was definitely not easy. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That Leadership not is not easy. Say, hey, look, we know that. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, yeah, just up there, apologize. Tell them, you, you know, you were wrong. They were right. And everything. no, that wasn't easy at all, but I'll tell you what drove me. What drove me to go and apologize and say, look, I was wrong. We are a family. What drove me to do that was, uh, again, more than I worried about being embarrassed or being wrong, I wanted success for my team. I wanted success our team. I wanted to see those other people succeed. And to your point, I made the realization I should be embracing the fact that they see each other as family. Uh, And so, uh, you know, that's what drove me to go back and say what I did and and apologize and give examples of teams that call themselves family is because I wanted success for our team members, our family members, not just protect myself from being embarrassed. Yeah. And, and when you're a strong leader that can do that and then have a team that refers to themselves as family and lets you into that family, it's, 
it's almost give us a challenge that we can't solve. I don't think you can. Right. Right. It's it's the 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 outcome and the results that a team like that can can achieve is is absolutely incredible. And I just want to encourage everybody just mistakes. And and from my example and Michael's examples, we are human beings. We make mistakes. Mistakes are a part of growing and living and learning and getting better every day. It's not the mistakes that you make. It's how you handle and respond to the mistakes that you make and do the very best you can to make them right. Um, If you can't make them right in the moment because of immaturity or leadership, uh, you know, just growth and development at that point in your career, don't make those mistakes again and again and again. Learn from them. Grow from them. Be better because of them. And the folks that you have that you lead will be so grateful for a leader who is a person who can recognize failure and A, own up to it and B, get better and better every day. So fantastic topic. It's um, really Really good to see that you and I are human beings, and I could have, <laughs> I could have told uh, everybody that uh, long ago. I've made so many mistakes. I could write a book on mistakes, and and uh, I've I've had my share. But without them, we wouldn't be the leaders we are today. Totally agree. You yeah. know, and we've said a number of times. You and I have both said a number of times on this podcast that we've made mistakes, and, and I hope this episode has proven to our audience that yes, even with the decades of experience that you and I have we have and continue to make mistakes. The most yeah. important things that we can do there is acknowledge that we do make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we acknowledge those. We learn from those. And then we go make those right. That's the three steps to, uh, you know, to handling the failures that you'll have as a leader. You will have them. Just acknowledge them, learn from them, and then go make them right. Yep. And as I said in our last episode, and I'll say it again in this episode, uh, you, you know, making mistakes is, is is part of the game, but failure is an event. It's not a person and learn from it and correct it and work to not repeat it and then develop those around you uh, and grow them and create leaders of consequence and significance in, in your career. So uh, that that's a great place to end it. A great episode, great topic. Why don't you uh, wrap us up? Yeah, listen, I think I'll share with our our listeners kind of something that you just shared, and that is mistakes around, you know, correcting your mistakes. Make sure that the mistakes you make today are new. Until we speak again from Stephen and I both, be blessed and lead well.